to the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution, courtesy of Sascribe Media. I'm your host, Alex Sumer, and on the show today, our guest is someone that's run tech startups for about seven years, uh, has raised funding in both the US and the UK, and is a, a Y Combinator uh, alumni. Um, he's also built products using a glo- or used globally by brands like Sony and MTV, uh, as well as having taught at Oxford University and designed startup education programs for a bunch of accelerators. Um, he's also authored a book called uh, The Mum Test, How to Talk to Customers and Learn If Your Business is a Good Idea When Everyone is Lying to You. So, uh, you know, on that note, welcome to the show, Rob Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick. Well, thank you so much for having me, Alex. How's it going, Rob? Uh, it's a good day, you know, a sunny British winter. Yeah, yeah. What, what brings you to, uh, to Britain? I'm guessing by the accent, you're, uh, you're not from uh, the UK. Yeah, I grew up in Miami, and everyone here is shocked. Uh, why would you ever leave? But we were we went through Y Combinator, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. which is an early stage kind of investor and support program. And at the time, we knew nothing about startups. Um, we were a team of programmers and designers, and we were just building fun products. And so we were just thrown into the deep end of you know, oh no, you're not just building a product; you're trying to make a business and. We didn't really have our own view on how we should be running the business, so we just followed everyone else's advice. We moved out to San Francisco, we raised funding from investors and VCs, um, and it took us probably a good two years to realize that that investors are all well and good, but ultimately you need to be close to your customers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in our case, that was the advertising industry, so they were in New York and London, and we ended up finding better contacts in London, so we moved the team out there, uh, promptly went out of business, but... I quite enjoyed the city, so I settled down here and made it home. Okay, awesome. So, what 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 was that startup? Um, you said you mentioned the sort of the advertising industry, and and you you just mentioned it. It went out of business. You know, can you you happy to kind of share a little bit more about that and why why so? Yeah, we were uh, at the time. Uh, Facebook and Twitter were quite new, and they were just opening up to brands and advertisers. So we were trying to build a, a safe kind of social advertising platform on top. And at the time, they didn't have their own advertising platform, so it was sort of the you know the wild west out there. And you could take all the data. The um, the Twitter firehose was just open. You could get all the tweets, and there was some really interesting uh, data crunching and analysis and anyway uh, it didn't work out for a bunch of reasons but kind of the one that's that's most relevant is just my personal um, failures as a founder which was that we were trying to build a sales driven business and I didn't have sales skills Mm -hmm. Uh, and and we kind of jumped into it because it made sense on a spreadsheet none of us were terribly passionate about the opportunity but we didn't think we needed to be we thought you know hey it's advertising there's a lot of money let's go take it and you know, that meant someone had to be doing sales. And so I spent a lot of time doing it. I read so many sales books. And, uh, you know, I read Steve Blank's stuff on customer development. And mm-hmm. I'm one of the few people who's actually finished Four Steps to the Epiphany. You know, <laughs> and it, it was brilliant for me. And I was like, oh, I get it. I need to be talking to customers. I need to be learning. So I went out and I spent the next probably year and a half almost full time in a combination of sales and uh, customer development meetings. And it, it was super heartbreaking for me because it was, it was so difficult and we built the wrong product anyway. Uh, and, and what I realized was that I'd just been having my conversations wrong. I'd been essentially asking for compliments and opinions instead of getting real, uh, real data, real evidence, and real commitments to purchase. So, yeah, I, I sort of really painfully spun my wheels for, for, for a while. Okay, and, and 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 since then, um, you've well, obviously, uh, you know, the output has been sort of writing 
the mom test as well as uh, I, th I think doing a bunch of uh, speaking gigs uh, as well. And I think I I stumbled across your book as I guess many people sort of you know do these days. You know I think um, uh, a, a SaaS founder uh, you know tweeted it uh, and uh, I thought this looks interesting um, because of the high praise that she. Uh, that she gave it and, uh, uh, you know, picked up the book um, and, you know, uh, recently uh, uh, finished it. So, um, you, you know, the, the mom test, it's, uh, you know, got an unusual title. You know, what, what's, it, what's it about? What's it got, got to do with, you know, founders and startups? So people say that if you have a new business idea, you're not meant to ask your mom if it's a good idea, right? Yeah. Because your mom, you know, she loves you. She's supportive. She thinks everything you do is amazing. So you're going to go... Um, you go, Mom, I have an idea for a, for a travel planning app. You know, and it, it puts everything in one place. You get your flight recommendations, your itinerary, um, you know, places to go to eat, all this stuff. Isn't, isn't planning travel annoying? And she goes, oh, yeah, it's so annoying to plan travel. That's an amazing idea. I love it. Um, and so you go, thanks. And, and you run off and you spend six months or 12 months building it. And then when you launch, like, your mom doesn't even use it. And you go, you know, what the heck? You told me that, that, that it was a great idea. And she goes, well, it is a great idea. It's just, I don't need it. And you're sort of like, ah. And that pattern is a really common, um, common mistake that founders make. Uh, they pitch their idea, and they're looking for what they think is feedback about their idea. Um, but they're kind of like, they're exposing their ego, so they end up fishing for compliments. You go, yeah, this is my business. I'm so excited about it. What do you think? Um, you know, worst case, you get an empty compliment. Best case, you get someone's opinion. Like even venture capitalists who are the best in the world at this, they're still wrong. What, like four out of five times? So how much are you going to value anyone's opinion? Uh, so the reason I call it the mom test is like people say you shouldn't ask your mom if your business is a good idea. But I think you shouldn't ask anyone if your business is a good idea because it always leads to bad data. Um, instead, you should ask good questions about their life. Um, and to me, those are questions that pass the mom test. Um, they're questions that don't expose the biases. So even your mom couldn't lie to you. Um, so the difference is, instead of saying, Mom, what do you think about my app? You say, hey, Mom, you went on a trip recently, right? Talk me through how you, how you planned that. What sites did you visit? What did you try? What frustrated you? Um, what other solutions did you look for? Did you Google for travel planning apps? Did you talk to an agent? How did it work? Uh, so when people are talking about the facts about what they already do in the past, the specifics about their life as it already is, uh, you, you get really reliable data. Um, of course, it doesn't tell you exactly what to build, but it gives you very deep customer understanding, and then you can take your own sort of, uh, you know, jump to a to a product vision and try to sell it to them. I, I wish I'd, uh, you know, probably picked up this book, um, you, you know, many months ago, um, because I mean, even you, you know, I, I've. Uh, had that kind of you know same problem, uh, shall we say, where you know mm. I thought I've had a great idea, you know, and this is going to be a great startup, and then you know I've gone to people within my network and said, hey, look, you, you know, I'm launching this, and you know I think this is great, and effectively, you know, everyone's come back and said, you know, this is you know a great idea, but what else are going to they say? You, you know, are they going to say? Are they going to say it's terrible? And but you you know because everybody then perhaps, you know, boosts your ego or, you know, whatever, you know, gives you the compliment and said it's a good idea, you move forward with it. But actually, you know, in retrospect and in reading your book, perhaps that's not the right way to uh, approach uh, approach things. So uh, your book came, you know, a bit too late in, uh, in some respects, uh, um, you know, for me. And, um, you know, some that's all right. There's, there's always the next company. Yeah. <laughs> and even the next product. I feel like even, it's not just about, 
when you first start a company that you want to do this stuff. Like the best founders I know, they've, they've found ways to keep in contact with their customers in quite a time-efficient way. And this is important mm-hmm. um, throughout the life of the company. So even when they're making a new feature or their analytics don't quite make sense, their conversion rate drops or whatever, um, they always have this combination of learning from their product and learning from, uh, learning from people. Uh, and I said time-efficient because I just want to flag up one mistake that's really easy to fall into. Um, we kind of have a tendency to flip-flop where... At first, like for your first project, um, you're convinced it's a genius idea, and so you spend all the time in the lab in secret building it, and you, you invest way too much time, and you build the wrong thing, and then you're pissed off. And so then for your next company, you're like, I'm not going to make that mistake again. You know, I'm going to talk to my customers. I'm going to do all of this. Um, and we make exactly the opposite mistake, where we spend like three months doing nothing but interviewing people. But that's actually a huge waste of time as well, right? Because you've just put your company on hold for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so this stuff is meant to speed you up, not slow you down. It's meant to give you little bits of learning so that you can build a more informed product. Um, and as the product moves forward, you're able to learn more from your customer conversations because instead of just talking to them, you're able to start getting commitments. You can ask for them to, uh, to try it, to recommend it, to pay for it. Um, so these things really go, go uh, in parallel. And I want to emphasize that. It's not like you stop doing everything for three months and do a thousand interviews. It's kind of a weekly practice where you do, you know, you just spend a little bit of your time on it. Okay. Well, you, you, you must have known what my next question was going to be because uh, mm. uh, I, I was uh, you know, going to ask you that, you know, if you're a bootstrap business, you know, can you afford to really be doing, you know, customer development or do you just have to go out there? You know, and start you know selling your your, your product because I see many um, you know uh, uh, well-funded uh, sort of startups that actually they uh, well you know in some cases you know will spend you know three months or so just talking to customers and you know not selling and just getting the product right. But if you're a bootstrap business, you you just can't do that. But effectively, what you're saying is that you know just do it in parallel, and you should still you know speak to your customers as uh, as you move on. I guess what what I'm saying is that you need to understand your customers to be able to come up with a good product. Um, So one of our big problems with our first business, we were building a product for advertisers and we didn't understand them. We didn't understand their goals, their workflow, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So the advice from the bootstrapping community, if you look at what um, 37 Signals and Amy Hoy uh, recommend, which is brilliant, Uh, you know, I'm, I'm huge, huge fans of all of their advice. Um, they say you want to scratch your own itch, you know, build a product for people like you. Amy was a freelancer, so she built a product for freelancers. Um, 37 Signals was an agency, so they built a product for agencies. And what that does is it it starts you off with a tremendous amount of customer understanding so that your first kind of uh, stab at a product is much more likely to be correct. So I think of that as almost like it's a hack, it's a trick to get a lot of customer learning for for very little effort where just build for people like you, you know? Um, now, is that the only thing you need to do? I, I don't know. To be honest, it gets you pretty far. That's like an 80-20 um, option. Where the interviews become really, really important is um, if you decided to move into an industry that you don't already have deep knowledge of. For example, I wanted to build a product for universities. Now, I'd been a student, but I'd never been a professor. Um, I'd never you know, understood a university budgeting department before. Uh, so even though I knew what it was like to be a student, there was still some learning I had to do about you know the other parts of my customer before I could build a credible product. Um, so it's not about the number of interviews you do. Interviews are one of many tools. The point is, it's very hard to build a good product if you don't understand your customers. 
Okay, and 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 going back to I, I guess sort of the the mum test, you, you know, you break it down into we say there's like three core components of of, of it. You know, one is um, talk about their life instead of your idea. Um, you know, the second one uh, ask about specifics in the past instead of generics or opinions about the future. Three talk less and listen more. Can we? Let you you know go into sort of each one and you know perhaps sort of with you know with some examples uh, around that of you know what founders should be doing specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first one's the most important, and here the rule for yourself is just if you're trying to get feedback, you're trying to learn about your customers' problems. Just whatever you do, don't begin by pitching. As soon as I come to you and you go, so show me your product, and I go, well, Alex, this is a revolution, and blah blah blah, and it's got these innovative this and that. Um, sort of simultaneously, you're trying to be polite and you also, your brain is shutting off. I'm just like, I've really closed you up for giving me honest feedback. Whereas if I ask about your life, so for example, now I'm making, uh, my current project is software for quickly making slide decks. So if I go, Alex, I've got an amazing idea. It's this awesome new slide deck app and it's going to be faster and better. I'm not getting feedback there, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm talking about my idea. But if I ask about your life and I go, Hey Alex, you probably had to put together a slide deck, right? Like a pitch, a sales proposal, something. You know, and you say yeah, and I'm like, talk me through how you did that. What were you thinking about? What did you try? How long did it take you? How else have you dealt with it in the past? Like, I'm asking about you. What you might say, and this is quite likely, you go, oh yeah, I used Keynote, and I'm like, how was it? And you're like, it was fine. I'm like, oh shit, he doesn't have the problem at all. Mm. He's totally happy with his existing solution. Uh, and so if I had pitched my idea, you would have gotten all excited. But if I just ask what you're doing, I can find out whether you actually care or not. Um, so that's the first one. Um, and it's great, actually, when you manage to completely disprove one of your own ideas very quickly. Um, so let me give a quick positive and negative example. Um, the, the one where I disproved myself, um, I thought a CRM, a contact management system for investors, would be great because investors get a ton of emails and deal flow and all this stuff. So I went to an investor and I said, uh, I set up a meeting on some other excuse. I like to not tell people that I'm trying to learn for, about a project because I want to keep it as casual as possible so there's no biases. So I call him up and I go, you know, once we're meeting, I go, hey, you must get a ton of email. And he goes, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's thousands a week. I'm like, that must be a nightmare. And he goes, yeah, it's a disaster. Um, you would not believe it. And I go, well, talk me through how you deal with it. And now this is getting into the second point. Instead of saying, would you like this in the future, you say, talk me through how you deal with it today. Talk me through what you've already tried. And he goes, ah, well, actually most of the email goes to our interns first, you know, and, and they read through and they delete like 90% of it. Um, and then there's really not that much left over. Um, and I scan through it and the companies I like, I write their names on a post-it and I stick it on the wall. Once a week I call them. Uh, and if I decide they're no good, I throw away the post-it. And I look over at his wall where he's pointing, there's about a dozen post-its up there. And I go, huh, that actually sounds like it's pretty okay. And he goes, yeah, now that you mention it, it's pretty all right. Anyway, what did you want to talk about? And for me, that was the most amazing, perfect customer interview. Because what seemed like a really big problem at first, once I pushed into it and dug into it, I realized he's actually got an existing solution he's totally happy with. Mm. So I would have had a real uphill battle trying to convince him to buy and try a new bit of software for a problem that's already very well solved. Um, a positive example was I was at, uh, and I mean that's still positive, right? Because yeah. you're getting great learning and you're escaping from a, a problematic product. Um, another time I was building a product for public speakers to help them get more speaking gigs. 
I was at a party, friends engagement drinks. I heard someone say, you know, something, something, my talk in Tokyo next week. So I was like, aha, a customer. So I went over. It's just a social event. I said, hey, I'm Rob. Weird question, I know, but I heard you're giving a talk in Tokyo next week. How did you get that speaking gig? How have you tried to get more? Do you do this a lot? Um, you know, like what frustrates you about it? Have you tried to get an agent? Um, all these questions. In five minutes, I knew everything about this person, and she actually ended up becoming my first customer. And both of those is like, that's, to me, how the perfect customer conversation should go. It's not an hour-long interview. Mm -hmm. It's a quick five-minute, very casual conversation, just getting to the heart of, like, who is this person and what do they care about? Uh, so that's the first two. And the third one, which I'm doing a great job of being a counterexample for at the moment, is uh, if you're trying to learn, you want to be not talking. Yeah. You, know? you, you ask a couple questions and you back out. So you're doing a great job of this. Uh, yeah. You set me off running and then <laughs> and take good notes. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And, and actually, I mean, it's, it's quite difficult, I, I think, you know, and I, I find to talk less and listen more. I think, you know, listening is actually quite a difficult skill, even, you know, whether you're in meetings or, or doing a podcast. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's quite challenging and, you, you know, you need to... Um, you know, find that sort of, you know, balance between, um, you know, stripping back, you know, doing all the talking and, and, and making sure that you're listening, getting the information. So I felt, you know, I've, I've got a, a, a sales sort of background and, uh, you, you know, that, that's kind of one of the, the, the things that, you know, as you get more experienced, you know, within sales that you, you kind of learn that, you know, you shouldn't be going into the meetings and doing all the talking. Uh, yeah, uh, um, it, it does take a while to uh, uh, to, to learn that, but um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, ditching the itch to pitch, uh, as it were, as uh, as well. Uh, I guess you know whether you're in you know this customer development phase or in meetings in general. Um, you know, I, I think so many people and founders, uh, you know, specifically because they love their products and you know and their idea and they think it's amazing that we just sort of naturally just fall into this you know pitch mode. Um, and uh, obviously, obviously uh, you know, it, it, it's not very helpful, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, so like when we when we're in, you know, meetings, uh, so we're not, you know, pitching, um, and we're we're listening. You know, why should we get, you know, commit uh, commitments and not opinions uh, within the meetings? In in in, yeah. in your opinion, so the uh, when you're working on a new project, it goes through a couple stages. Um, at the first stage, and this doesn't always happen linearly, to be fair, um, it can happen in any order, but there's a bit where you're just trying to understand your customers. You're like, who are they? What do they care about? What budgets? What problems? How are they already solving it? It almost has nothing to do with your idea, right? It's just about the customer. Yeah. Um, Steve Blank calls this the discovery stage. I call it like learning or exploring, whatever. Um, at this point, you can keep it as casual as possible. It's kind of everything I've been describing. They don't even need to know that you have a product idea. You just need to find an excuse to chat to them. Uh, however, a little bit later, once you've got a better idea of who your, who your users are going to be, and you've got a, a, your, your product vision is getting clearer, obviously you have to talk about your product to keep learning, right? And I've just told you that as soon as you talk about your idea, um, you, you introduce all these biases and you start getting opinions. So the way to cut through this is whenever you talk about your product or whenever you show people your product, you want to find an excuse to ask for some kind of commitment. If I go, uh, hey, Alex, I'm starting a, a, a T-shirt company, you know, and I'm like, I show you the T-shirts, and you go, oh, those are really nice. I love them. And I go, oh, that's great. I've got some with me. Would you like to buy one? Suddenly you're like, ooh, actually, do I really want that? You really like the T-shirt, but is it for you? 
Um, so the way we get around these, these compliments is like if someone compliments your product, just ask them for something. Um, and ideally, you would ask for money, but you can't always get away with that. If you're still quite early in development, you can't, you know, it's like a bit cheeky to ask for money right out the gate. Mm. Um, so I found that you can also ask for people's time and you can ask for their reputation. And both of those work as an okay proxy for, uh, for their money. Now, by reputation, it's kind of anything where their name is involved. So if I'm working on a new product and someone says, ah, oh, this is amazing, it's so innovative, I love it. Um, you know, let's say I'm selling to businesses. I might say something like, well, it's amazing to hear you say that. You know, we're, we're going to be going into beta in a couple weeks. If you'd be willing to try the beta seriously for, you know, for two or three weeks, at the end of it, I'd love to write a public case study, you know, about your experiences with the product. Would you like to do that? So what I've just done is I've asked them for a serious commitment to try it, you know, a couple weeks of their time, and I've asked them for a bit of their reputation. Are you willing to be a public case study? Now, if they love what I'm doing um, and they're actually serious about it, right now they're thinking, this is amazing. I get early access. I get a free or discounted you know, way to try it. Uh, and everyone's going to see how innovative I am trying this awesome product. So they're like, hell yeah. But what most people will do is they'll go, they'll go ah, actually, you know what? We'll just wait till it's ready and then we'll give it a try on our own. And you go, okay, I'll loop to, back to them later. Um, they may become a later customer, but they're probably not going to become my first customer. Um, you know, so you just sort of qualified them. You figured out how excited they are, and you can spend your time, you know, in other places. And if no one's excited across any of the people you're talking to, maybe you're like, ah, maybe I need to change the product a little bit. I haven't quite found the love yet. So what what are the, uh, I guess, kind of like cheats then, um, you, you know, for for founders to, to, to pass the, the, the mom test in, in kind of, I guess, kind of summary uh, I, I, we will, uh, you know, link to the book and, um, you, you know, uh, ask the listeners to, well, you, you know, uh, to, to, to go and search out the book and, uh, uh, and certainly buy it. I, I found it a, a great read. You know, what are the kind of, you know, uh, sort of key things that founders, um, you know, should be doing, uh, should be doing now? Well, uh, just real quick while we're on the topic, I'll, I'll give you a, uh, give you a link to put into the show notes with a, you know, 20 or 30 heavily discounted versions of the book, 66% uh, off or something. So a few listeners can grab those at a, grab them to steal if they'd like to. Awesome. awesome. Um, but the, 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 the quickest thing and what I would recommend, this is a little bit, I mean, it's, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's, it's, it's true. It, it'll hopefully give you an idea of what I'm thinking about. M my business partners always joke that I don't do customer development. I do cocktail customer development because I'm so often doing it with a drink in my hand. Uh, and, and the reason this works is that um, the more casual it is, the more time efficient it is. You know, you don't need an hour-long meeting. You just need a five-minute chat. Mm -hmm. And the more casual it is, the more you can learn about your customers because they don't have their defenses up. If you go in under the context of a sales meeting or a Skype interview or something, people are kind of on the defensive. They're like, ah, this guy's trying to sell to me or he's trying to figure something out. Um, so what I do is I, I try to, I mean, well, for one thing, I choose customers that I'd like to be friends with. Mm -hmm. So my days of selling to advertisers who I don't like hanging out with are over. Um, so now I work with um, entrepreneurs or universities or authors or creatives. It's like people that I actually have fun hanging out with. And then it's a pleasure, right? And so I'll go to an industry event and I'll go, hey, it's like the self-publishing authors meetup. And I'm like, great. And like, I'm talking to people. I'm like, hey, how did you edit your book? How did you write it? How did you promote it? As far as they're concerned, we're just having a conversation. But for me, I'm getting massive customer learning. 
Um, so it's like, people say it's like, oh, you have to go out and network, but that's such like, uh, it implies that it's a chore. But if you just choose customers you like and you actually care about their lives and you care about making their lives better, it's not a chore at all. You know, you're, you're just making friends and getting to understand them in the hopes of eventually being able to launch a product that improves their lives. So that's kind of my attitude behind this whole thing, right? Um, it's like, Businesses should make you happy while you're running them as well as after they succeed. Um, and, and a big part of that is like, it's like if you like your customers, a whole <laughs> lots of other things are easier. Makes, uh, makes a ton of sense. Uh, absolutely. And um, no, I'm, I'm all for that. And, and perhaps even, you know, should be doing more of that because, uh, well, I, I like my, um, you, you know, say customers, uh, you know, very much so. And also I like old fashioned. So, you know, putting <laughs> putting the two together would just uh, would just make a ton of sense there. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, aside from the mom test, you, you know, how how are you helping founders suck less? You know, what else do you do? <laughs> so for the, um, I mean, my journey as an individual is like my first company. You know, I was I was straight out of university, and all I wanted was to build a huge empire. Right. Mm -hmm. I was reading TechCrunch, I was reading Y Combinator, I was like, yeah, it's, if the number didn't end in a billion, I didn't care about it. I was like, the first thing we did is we're like, how do we get VC money? And we worked really hard on that, and we had some big customers, like we had customers like Sony and MTV, like you mentioned, so it wasn't like an abject failure, and we raised a couple rounds of funding from really good investors, and it was super fun and interesting for me, actually, to be exposed to that, that slice of the business world, because... You know, it's like the bootstrapping community, it's a lot, they're like, ah, funding's so terrible. But actually, it's a very powerful tool. It's a dangerous tool, but it's powerful, and it opens up a, a type of business that's very difficult to get at otherwise. So it was a great, you know, it was fun. I spent three or four years on that first company. But then afterwards, I was like, shit, I just want to relax, you know? I don't want to get a job, but I want to do business on my own terms. So I moved more toward like the digital nomad and the micro ISV sort of world where I'm like, I want to work by myself, very few hours. I didn't quite get to a four-hour work week, but I got down to a six-hour work week. And I was like, okay, this is pretty good. And I was really just trying to set up tiny little lifestyle businesses to give myself some freedom and relax and get over the burnout from my first uh, first company. And then over time, I was like, actually having money is fun, you know? And like, it's all well and good to be able to work from a beach, but it like sucks if you can't like then go and get a hotel afterwards, you know? Yeah. Um, and and you so, need some air con, yeah, <laughs> So I was combining this, like, I'm like, who do I like hanging out with, with the idea of like, okay, I'm willing to give up a little bit of freedom in the name of a little bit more reliability. Um, so I liked helping entrepreneurs. Um, I quite like the education side of things, so I started a little consulting business with a friend of mine called Founder Centric, mm -hmm. and we basically tried to improve entrepreneurship curriculum at universities, at accelerators, um, even in some cases for, for governments, where they're like, we're going to promote entrepreneurship, but they were really bad at it. They were coming at it from a bureaucratic or an MBA sort of direction. So we weren't like selling consulting services to founders, we were selling it to universities, and we're saying, okay, let us help you make your um, your entrepreneurship program a bit more relevant, a bit you know, a bit tighter, a bit more useful based on what founders are actually going through in the field. So we did that for about three years, um, built it up to an okay little business. I think we got it up to about a million dollars a year. And once I found that the the sort of immediate short term financial pressure was off for me, it's been really interesting because um, I've naturally sort of skewed back towards getting a bit more ambitious again. And now I'm like, oh yeah, I want to build products. 
you know, I want something that can scale. Um, so actually, I've come sort of full circle, and I'm back to back to building tech startups. So as of kind of the new year, I started my transition out of that company, and one of my business partners is taking it over, and he's focusing on some really cool projects um, promoting entrepreneurship in the developing world. Mm-hmm. So he's got trial projects going on in Ghana, Zimbabwe, um, South Africa, uh, rural Bulgaria with the Roma communities. A lot of amazing founders in those countries that that kind of just aren't getting the, you know, the support and the the, the global stage they need. So if anyone's interested in that, uh, his name's Salim Farani, and the site's VillageAccelerator.org. There's some really cool stuff going on around it. So if you've got a way to help or, or you're just curious, check it out. Um, yeah, and as for me, I'm warming up my programming fingers again. <laughs> it's been a lot of years of doing sales and customer-facing stuff, so I'm pretty excited just to be coding again, to be honest. Awesome, awesome. Well, we uh, we we'll look forward to see what uh, you know is the output of uh, of that. So uh, certainly, when you're you know at the launch phase, let us know, and um, you know we'll be happy to. Uh, kind of, you know, uh, tweet it out and, and share it with, uh, you know, the followers um, so that they can, you know, see what you've been, uh, uh, what you've been working on. But, um, you know, on, on that note, uh, Rob, you know, we come to the end of the show. You've been, uh, you know, fantastic guests, some great insights there. Um, and, uh, you know, for uh, the listeners, you know, uh, we'll show in the, uh, in, in the show notes uh, the link to uh, where you can fa- uh, find Rob's book, uh, The Mom Test, How to Talk to Customers and Learn If Your Business is a Good Idea When Everyone's Lying to You. Um, I uh, advise you to go out and, uh, and buy it. It's a, it's a great book. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, thanks for uh, being on the show, Rob. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And, uh, and for listeners, if you liked uh, this episode of the show, um, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate and review it uh, on iTunes, and we'll see you next time.